invite you to turn with me in God's Word to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6. We'll be looking this morning at our message, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 5 through verse 9. Again, there are some Bibles that are located underneath the seatbacks in front of you. If you don't have one with you, please feel free to take one of those and follow along and take it with you if you need it. Jesus Christ changes everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free. No matter the origin of your family, no matter the color of your skin, the gender of your birth, the nature of your occupation, your economic status, your social standing, how young, how old you are, how good or bad you have been, the good news of God, that God the Father has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, to suffer and to die for sinners like you and me, and to rise again from the grave, to call us to repentance and faith that we might receive eternal life and that he is now head over all things for his body, the church. That transforms everything. It changes everything. As we've seen in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it changes fundamentally who we are. Through God's grace in the gospel, we go from being, being enemies of God, from being dead in our trespasses and sins, from being separated from, from Christ and from His promises in the covenants, without God and without hope in this world, to being chosen and adopted and, and loved and forgiven and blessed children and heirs of God, being made alive with Christ and, and seated with Him in the heavenlies, to being united with him as our head and joined with people of all kinds as as one new people as Kyle remind us one race a kingdom and a, 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 a priesthood a royal priesthood of believers God is glorified and Jesus Christ is is manifested and his kingdom is multiplied as we as we recognize who we are in Christ and as a result of that radical change of who we are in our nature, our new identity in Christ, the gospel, also changes fundamentally how we live. We are indwelt and empowered by the Spirit of God with His truth and His grace so that we no longer walk in the, in the futility of darkened minds, in the desires of our old nature, our old sin and corrupt natures, but we are new creations God tells us. We are called to walk together in love and in unity and in holiness and humility and purity and kindness and forgiveness. And we are enabled to actually do so by the Spirit of God in us. And so being filled with His Spirit, we now live in a manner that transforms how we view and live in this world and in relationship to one another such that in and through us as believers, again, God is glorified. And Christ is manifest to the world and His kingdom is multiplied. The gospel changes everything. Everything. 
It's the power of God, not only for the salvation of souls, but for the transformation of communities and cultures and and institutions as, as God's people, the church, saved by grace through faith in Christ, empowered by His Spirit, now live as we were created to live, as we are called to live by God in the world and in the church, and as we've seen over these last weeks, in our very homes. And I start this way this morning because we need, we need to realize as we, as we hear the instructions that God gives us in His Word, as we hear the commands that God calls us to for how we are to live in this world, it's not something that we can do just by being better, just by trying harder, just by seeking to change ourselves. These are things that we can only do because we have been changed. We have been transformed. The gospel has has changed fundamentally who we are. And only when when you are in Christ and Christ is in you, is there any hope that the unity that we pursue, the truth and righteousness and justice that we we long for, the harmony and love and joy that we we seek in our homes and in the church and, and in all our relationships, only... Only then can it prevail. Only through the power of God at work in us will God's glory be shown and God's kingdom be grown through us as his church. The gospel changes everything. So I start by asking this morning, has the gospel changed you? Has the gospel changed you? If it has, then your life and our life together in the body will be radically different than what we see around us. It will change your marriage. It will change your relationship with your parents and and with children. And as we see this morning, it will change how you approach the whole issue of your work in the world. Let me read from Paul's letter to the Ephesians beginning in verse 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a, a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Would you pray with me? Father, the good news of your son Jesus, which you have revealed to us in him, changes everything. And we ask now, Lord, that you would come and through your word, through that good news, you would change us this morning. Speak to us, Lord, where we need to hear. 
Convict us, Lord, where we need to be corrected. Guide us in the paths that you would have us go. For your name's sake and for our good, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ephesians 6, the passage we just read, Paul includes the relationship of, of bond servants, or if you look down probably in your translation or in the footnotes, literally of slaves, that's what the word means, and masters in his instructions for godly relationships in the home. He starts by saying, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now, before we jump into that, we have to address the big question, and that is the whole issue of, of, of slavery and, and masters, since some of you are likely saying, what in the world does this have to do with us today? And because of that verses like this and, and others like it, many have often accused the Bible and accused Christianity of, of actually condoning or promoting slavery. And if we're honest, we need to acknowledge, we need to own up to the fact that this has been true at times in history. And even in our own nation's history, as passages like this were, were wrongly interpreted and deplorably at sometimes employed as justification for the evil and inhuman practice of selling and enslaving African men, women, and children. And that's not what Paul is addressing here. Nor is there any justification in God's word or room in God's kingdom for such a practice. I just want to start by saying that. Slavery in the Roman Empire, Paul's day, and indeed in the life of ancient Israel, while, while not devoid of its own abuses and, and brutality, was not what we think of and not what we have, have experienced as a nation in our own history here in America. It is estimated in Rome... At the time that Paul lived, that from one-third to one-half of the population, some 60 million people lived in this, in this category of servants or slaves for a great variety of reasons. Roman citizenry at the time saw manual labor and work as something beneath them, and thus practically everything, including things like doctoring and teaching and, and, and overseeing even households, were done by servants or slaves. Slaves were often more like apprentices or indentured servants and was, was such a part of the functioning of society that, that slaves, though by no means always treated rightly or given the rights and dignity of family members, were a vital functioning part of the ancient household. And in the history of God's people, God, God's law sets forth certain instances where, where slavery was actually permitted, such as for, for punishment of conquered nations or criminals who cannot provide restitution according to the law. At that time, in the absence of, of any kind of welfare system or social safety net, it provided a, a voluntary way of living for those who could, could maybe not pay back their debts or found themselves in, in desperate need. And at the same time, Scripture clearly condemns the more modern slave practice of, of stealing men and enforcing slavery upon them. You see that both in the Old Testament in Exodus 21 as well as Paul speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. As well, God set forth laws which opposed and protected 
against the cruelty and injustice that was often associated with slavery and provided a a regular time even every seventh year in in the Jubilee year where slaves were to be set free and provided for as they went forward. In the New Testament, both Jesus and Paul are clear that in God's eyes there is no partiality. In Christ there is neither slave nor free. Indeed, Paul encouraged slaves to gain their freedom if possible. Yet neither Jesus nor Paul sought to overthrow or abolish the prevailing social and economic structures of their day. Rather, they sought to transform those institutions through the influence of the gospel, the power of the gospel that changes everything, and the life of the body of Christ applied within that cultural context. So indeed, though it took a long time, it was the transforming nature of the gospel and those who had been changed by the gospel that ultimately did away with the institution of slavery and that still the answer to those forms of slavery or human trafficking that exist even today, as well as more established forms of of servanthood that we may find in various cultures. So the Bible does not condone slavery, but the gospel so transforms the relationship between slaves and masters in a manner that was utterly countercultural in Paul's day. And this is just seen in the fact that Paul is here writing to slaves and masters, sitting together as brothers in, in, in the body of Christ together, and instructing them at how this impacts their lives. So with that said, Paul's exhortation to servants and masters is still applicable in principle to us today as we find ourselves daily exercising and submitting to authority in various places, including in the workplace, in our vocations. If we are to have the fullness of Christ in our life, it must be brought into the realm of of what we do every day for a living. in our relationships of authority as either employers or employees. And the question that this text answers for us today is, is how does the gospel, how does being in Christ as a believer, how does it impact and transform our lives in our callings at work or if you're a student at school or under those places where where God has either uh, put us under authority or given us authority over others in some manner? Does a Christian employer or employee working wholeheartedly to serve the Lord, does, does that look any different than those who just work hard and to get ahead in life? And if so, how? And so I want to suggest from this passage that what sets a, a Christian apart in that context is two things. A, a mindset, a new mindset, and a new motivation. A new mindset and a new motivation. Let's look at that new mindset. We too easily forget that like marriage and parenting, work was part of God's original design. It was part of his purpose in creation. God called man and set him in the garden to work and to tend the garden for his glory and for man's good. And though its original glory was also tarnished by man's fall into sin, Christ has come to restore that, to restore purpose, to restore hope, and yes, even even joy in our work. Unfortunately, many believers view work as somehow outside of that sphere of impact from and and relevancy 
to their Christian faith. We, we have somehow created this false dichotomy between our private and our public lives, our, our sacred and our secular endeavors. And as a result, we, as followers of Christ, often struggle with, with putting our work in proper perspective, of, of seeing it, its ultimate purpose, and living consistently with our beliefs and with our convictions in an environment that increasingly challenges those very things. And here, Paul is, is reminding us that no matter What you do, slave or master, whatever you do, it matters to God. It matters to God. And both why and how you do it is an opportunity to glorify God. In other words, work is worship. Work is worship. Whether you are the one who is serving under the authority of another or the one exercising that authority over others, as believers, both you under authority and you as one in authority are, are under and are serving at the pleasure of the same master, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. As believers, our ultimate boss is God. <laughs> The reason we are to obey and serve wholeheartedly those who who God has put over us here on earth is that ultimately He is the one whom we are serving and honoring. And Paul emphasizes that repeatedly here in this passage. Just obey just as you would obey Christ in verse 5. Verse 6, as servants of Christ doing the will of God. Verse 7, render service as to the Lord. Verse 9, he who who is... Both your master and theirs is in heaven. Have you ever thought about your work in that way? It's not just something that you have to do to get by. It's not just something that you do to pay the bills. It's the place that God has has divinely ordained for you to serve him. To serve him. It's an opportunity for you to bring him pleasure and glory. And and so when you get up in the morning and you head off to the office or you you head off to school or you begin your, your work day at home, you are doing the work that God has called you to do for him, not just for your earthly masters. And that means there's no job that is unimportant in God's eyes. That's the truth that the, the Protestant reformers recovered in the whole, the whole idea of the priesthood of believers. Kyle mentioned that we are a, a kingdom of priests, but, but Luther and others came and said, not only in, in, as, we, as we serve in the church, but even as we serve in our, in our vocations, God has set us apart to bring Him glory. No matter what your occupation or calling, it is the, it is the place and it is the opportunity to render service and thus Worship to the Lord your God. If you drive around this area much, you've probably come across some road construction, particularly here in Apex. And, and you know that there's the, the cones that are laid out, and usually there's a guy or a, a woman in a vest, and they're holding the stop and the go slow sign, and they're directing traffic through there. And, and you know, you drive past there, and oftentimes I've thought, wow. Could there be any other more mundane work than to just stand there and turn that sign and direct traffic? 
And I saw a picture uh, not too long ago. Uh, I can't remember where I ran across it, posted somewhere. But it was, used to call those people flagmen because they, had a, the, 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 they would use it, do it with a flag. And, and it, was, it was one of those workers standing there, vest on with a big t-shirt, and it said, Flagman for Jesus. And he was, he was waving at people as they were going by and, 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 and just, just smiling at them and, and doing his job with great joy. How many of us share that same mindset in our work? Are you a programmer or a teacher or an engineer or a mother or a student for Jesus? Paul says, you are. You are. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so when we have that understanding of, of for whom we work, it transforms the attitude we have towards our job. And, and what, I, what I'm doing is not just for this company or for this teacher or for this client. It's for the Lord Jesus and for the glory of God. And so your work ought to matter to you because it matters to God. And for employers, that help, tra- that help transforms attitudes towards those under our care as well. We realize that in our role as earthly masters, we still serve a heavenly one. And therefore, how we treat those under us makes a huge difference. You see, the gospel transforms everything. And it transforms the mindset we have towards that which we do, such that all work, no matter what it is, is an opportunity to worship and glorify God. Whatever you do, Paul says in Corinthians, whether in word or deed, do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We are called to glorify God in our work. Because any work that we do is done as servants and in the service to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that transformed mindset leads to a transformed approach to our roles at work. I I, I see several ways in which this new mindset changes our approach to the workplace here. First, Paul says, the the Christian accepts responsibility rather rather than asserting his rights. He says, bondservants, obey your earthly master with fear and trembling and with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Paul calls for a submission to the authority placed over us with with proper honor and respect. Fear and trembling, that same same honor and respect that, that we give because we're serving under God. And as in the previous commands of, to wives and husbands, to their husbands and children, to their parents, Paul's not saying that we should be indiscriminate in our submission to that authority. As servants of our heavenly master, we would never follow a, a command that would go against God's word or lead us to sin against him. And there are occupations, there are, there are jobs and work that a believer cannot in good conscience perform that may be counter to God's word, that may be, go against his work of the kingdom. But what Paul is saying is that for the Christians, we should, we should accept responsibility and seek to carry out that responsibility under the authority God has put over us. And we live in a day when we hear a great deal about rights. And we hear about workers' rights. And there are many good and appropriate laws to protect various rights in the workplace. And we should have a proper concern for rights that lead to fair and, and just practices in the workplace. But for the Christian, when we're, when we're called to a job, when we, we are given tasks to do, 
We're called to take responsibility to carry that out with, with respect and with a, with a sincere heart to recognize that, that there's no task that's somehow beneath us. In every job, there's times when we're asked to do something. We're asked to, to do something unpleasant. We're asked to do something disagreeable. Children, your parents will at times ask you to do things that you really don't want to do. You know that. But as believers, we're more concerned about, about accepting that responsibility rather than asserting our rights. We are looking to how can we serve. I mean, think about our Savior in that regard. The creator of the universe willingly gave up his, his divine right, so to speak, to take on human nature, as, as Paul says in Philippians, to literally become the very nature of a servant, a slave, doulos, the same word. The one who has, without sin and perfectly holy, walked and dined with and defended and touched those whom society had deemed unclean and, and outcasts. The one who was the master of all the universe. He, he took off his robe. He wrapped himself in a towel and he, and he played the role of a servant. The one who was perfectly innocent willingly took on the guilt and shame of all the world and took our place on the cross. He could have asserted his rights. But instead, he, he accepted his responsibility. He came... He, he, he did what the Father called him to do as we read in John. And with courage and humility and a reverence, he was obedient even unto death. So as Christians, we glorify God in our work by taking seriously the, the responsibility God has entrusted to us. No matter how unimportant, how disagreeable it may seem. And this goes for employers and employees. When we're asked to perform a task, if it doesn't go against God's commands, then we should consider taking it up with enthusiasm. Accepting the responsibility to treat our workers and, and those we work with with justice and impartiality and not just blindly assert the rights of our position of authority. And so this new mindset means we, we accept responsibility rather than asserting our rights. And secondly, it also means we practice integrity rather than just promoting impressions. Practice integrity rather than promoting impressions. Paul says we are to work with a genuineness, a sincerity of heart. Or to put it another way, we are to work with integrity. The Christian worker is to be the same person of honesty and integrity at all times, no matter who's watching. That's what Paul warns against here. We've heard of lip service. Paul here says literally we are not to give eye service. Not to seek just to, be, to promote a good impression, to be a people pleaser, to, to act only as if someone is there watching. We all know what that's like, don't we? Boys and girls, you know what it's like to act or behave differently when your parents are in the room than when they're not in the room. Young people and old people. Our social media culture is built on giving eye service on creating an impression to, to make others think well of us. And we can do this in our, in our callings as well. I can remember as a football player in high school in practice, we would circle up for you know, pregame warm-ups and we'd be doing push-ups and 
the coach would just walk around and he'd watch everybody. And as soon as his eyes came on you, you were doing the straightest push-ups you could get. But as soon as he turned his back, everybody went to their knees and started doing the neck. I call them neck push-ups. And it can be the same in the workplace. Working through lunch and staying late while your boss is in town or in the office. Manipulating circumstances so that someone important will notice an achievement in some way. Yet when no one's watching, things are different. And there's a particular temptation now towards this today when so many of us are, are working from home, isn't there? For many of us, there's no longer a clear line of, of when we're at work and when we're not. Schedules have become flexible and much of our work is done now in isolation from anybody really watching us. Each of us knows in our hearts how this applies in our situation, but the believer will be known for his or her integrity over their desire to simply make a good impression at work. And so the underlying principle here is practicing that integrity, being the same person and performing the job in the same way you would if your boss or teacher or coach were standing right there. Why? Because your ultimate master is standing right there. The only one who matters is watching. The only eyes that matter are always on us, those of our master in heaven. And so we are to practice integrity rather than just promoting impression. And, and thirdly, the mindset means we strive for excellence rather than settle for expediency. And this is a mindset of let's do it right rather than just let's get it done. Paul says, render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Christian workers ought to be the best workers because we go at whatever that task is wholeheartedly and with a good will, with a desire to see it come out well. We are the ones who seek to do the best job possible rather than just getting by with something in a half-hearted way. I read the story of a Christian student who was on a, a summer mission project and he was a Latino student, and during the summer he was working for a storekeeper in this place who was never satisfied with his work and who was actually prejudiced against him and, and made certain racist comments throughout the, the summer towards this young man he was, who was working for him. And his, his fellow students on that mission were, didn't understand why he was sticking with the job. Why didn't he just quit and find another job? But they were, they were shocked to see this young man bring his boss at the end of the summer to a, a, a banquet where he could hear of what the students had been doing and actually hear the gospel presented. Why had that man come? Because during that summer, that student would, would go back to that store at night and he would take time to clean up and to organize. And he had, he had cataloged and, and inventoried everything in the store for his boss. And he had, he had cleaned up this old disheveled warehouse. Despite his employer's prejudice against him, he worked with all his heart. <laughs> rendering service with a good will. Doing the, the will of God the best he knew how in order not to to give his boss any reason to think poorly of him, but to hopefully help his boss think well of his master, the Lord, the student's master. 
And it worked. His striving for excellence in his work, working with a full heart as unto the Lord, it opened the door for, for his boss to come and to have an opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel. That was the heart motivation for this young man. And brothers and sisters, as a Christian, it doesn't matter if you're a CEO or a, or a civil servant. It doesn't matter if you're a, a programmer or a plumber. It doesn't matter if you're a chef or a, a student, a housewife or a home builder, a taxman or a trash collector. Whatever you do, do the will of God from the heart with a good will, striving to do your best. Rendering service to the Lord Jesus. And don't just settle for getting by. This new mindset that work is worship also leads to a new motivation. And I'll end here. Paul says, We are to render service with a good will, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will see, receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. So much of our attitude in work today is centered around what we make, what we get, what are the rewards for us. Now granted, being able to provide for your family and having job satisfaction and taking care of the needs you have are, are important things, and God does provide those things. But the earthly reward which we get are not the reason for why we work. If it is, we'll never be satisfied. We'll never be satisfied because there's always the lure of getting more. For the Christian, however, there's a greater reward that helps us keep things in, in perspective. Remember, Paul is, is speaking to slaves here who in reality had very little hope of earthly rewards. Yet he is calling them to wholehearted, dedicated, honest, excellent service and reminding them that not only do they serve a greater master, but they serve for a greater reward. And that reward is what awaits them. And it's greater than any amount of money or perks they could ever hope to achieve. Theirs and ours in Christ is the inheritance of heaven. It is eternal life and all the blessings and rewards of being in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this was good news. This is good news. Particularly to a, a slave who stood to inherit nothing in the world. And it is good news to you and me. God ultimately rewards those who wholeheartedly serve Him in whatever they do, no matter what that is. We're called to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven and why and how we live for our lives, our lives for Christ and not for man will reap blessings beyond our dreams in the life to come. And that ought to be our motivation. The desire to come to that day at the end of time when all believers... Slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female, will stand before God reviewing their lives and how they stewarded the gifts that God gave them and served in the places where God put them. And our desire is to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in my joy. Work is worship and work is witness for Jesus and isn't it interesting that Paul instructs, instructions to masters are pretty simple. Masters, do the same to them. Do the same to them. Treat them as you would. Not a slave, but a fellow servant of the Lord. 
and a brother in Christ. That is what they are. Paul wrote his letter to Philemon, commending to him Onesimus, one of Philemon's slaves who had apparently run away and had come to faith and been of great service to Paul. And Paul writes back and sends Onesimus back and he implores Philemon to receive him back forever. No longer a slave, but more than that, now a brother, a beloved brother. So what sets the Christian worker employer apart from the rest of the world? It's a different mindset which sees our work as worship, as unto the Lord, accepts responsibility, practices integrity, strives for excellence, and is motivated by ultimately serving God and seeking the rewards that He has for us, bringing Him glory and enjoying the inheritance which is ours in Christ Jesus. And as I said at the beginning, it's not something we can do just by trying harder or working better on your own. Please don't leave here and just say, I am going to be a better employee. Do say that, but don't think you can do it in and of your own strength. It happens when we have been changed, when we have been redeemed as slaves to sin and set free as sons and daughters of God by Jesus Christ, rendering service to Him with a good will and by the power of His Spirit. And only then, only then, can the workplace, our job, our calling, whatever it is, be transformed into a source of joy, of satisfaction and purpose that God intends for it to be? It's not just hard work. It's heart work. It can only come from a heart that is changed by the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now, to this table that you have prepared for us. As we are reminded here of your work on our behalf, having taken on the nature of a servant, having come not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. And Lord, because of that, you have transformed us, brought us from death to life, from slaves to sons. And you've called us now to do all that we do, rendering service to you. And so we come now, Lord, and we bow our hearts and our lives before you. We pray that you would, even in this time today and in this sacrament, Lord, you would do your work of change, of transformation. And for all who are here, Lord, who are in what they see as dead-end jobs or who are in jobs, Lord, that they feel are unimportant, Father, would you remind them, would you bring them to a place of seeing that whatever they do, when it's done in service to you, Father, it makes a difference. It matters, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And so we ask now that you would meet us here, that you would do your work of service as we seek to come and serve as your children. And we pray this in Jesus' name.